I brought department heads together in the meeting room adjacent to the manager's office and sat them down because my instincts were they probably hadn't been brought together very much in all those 30 years. And indeed, I was right. And I found it out very quickly. So they were all in the room together. And the very first thing I said to them was, I bet you're feeling on edge, perhaps even afraid about what has happened here. You've lost somebody that you've worked with all these years and good, bad, and indifferent. You knew what the landscape was. And this is now a whole new landscape. Know that I'm going to do what these council members want as much as possible while advising them through this, but also know that I'm sensitive to how you must feel right now. The other thing that you're going to know is that at least on a weekly basis and probably almost daily at the beginning, you're coming together as a group. And I know that you're very work-oriented and action-oriented, and you probably think meetings are a total waste of time, but you're going to have to trust me that these meetings are going to pull you together in a way that you've never been pulled together before. And you all are going to reveal what's going on in your departments to each other with the finance director in the room, who, by the way, and this is classic government, on their way out, the previous council did some major cuts in the budget. And that's also typical politics and handed that over to this new council. Yeah, go ahead and see what you can do now. They'd really cut the police department, but other pieces and parts of that entire government had been cut. So this finance director was sitting in the room. They're all looking at him like, we don't want him here because it's all his fault. And I said to all of them, we're not going to blame anybody for this. We're going to figure out what you lost and what I need to say to this council for us to operate as a whole. So that's what I did on my very first handle job. What if a guy has a vision for his community and he hears about another guy who sounds just like him? And what if those two meet one day in a barbershop? And what if they are from two different political parties but decide to run together? Our guests today include those two guys, Dan Dunnigan and Matt West. Together as a team, they ran for elected office in Lansdale Borough, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. At the time, Lansdale was a sleepy borough with just over 16,000 residents. Situated on the SEPTA line outside of Philadelphia, today Lansdale is a vibrant community of about 18,000. Together with a willing team on council, they realized goals that had only been dreamt of for years. You will hear about the challenges that ensued, and there were many. One of the first things they did was hire a new manager, Timothea Kirkner. She in turn brought in John Ernst to serve as Community Development Director and John Miserak to help with strategy and funding. Today you will get a full picture of what it looks like to create organization and community readiness to achieve big goals. 
It was my privilege to work with Lansdale on building an HR system during this period of time. And I can say with confidence that the secret to this transformation was a community vision with people at the center. We will start today with Matt West. Let's join him as he talks about why he stepped up to the plate and put his money where his mouth is. My former life was a transportation planner for the Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission. And I chose Lansdale due to its close proximity to public transit, affordable housing, proximity to open spaces. It was just the perfect place from a geographical standpoint to, to call home and raise a family. And so one of the aspects that we use to determine where we wanted to live is access to public transportation. Lansdale served by one of the major regional rail hubs in the Philadelphia region. So I used to walk to the train station every day, it's almost 17 years worth. And so through that time, it was me making observations, my, my training as a geographer, looking around, asking questions like, my goodness, we've got a main street. We've got the vehicular volumes that are through the roof. We've got all of these things going for us. Why isn't Lansdale getting to the point where surrounding communities that have started to turn around? And I hate to use the word revitalize. You hear that a lot, but why isn't Lansdale? What are those things that are keeping us back? And so. One of my frustrations was seeing good ideas come to life and then poor execution. It was just lots of fumbles, lots of things that just didn't go the way that you thought it should go to get us to that point. And so I honestly just wanted to get on the planning commission and uh, there was an opening on the planning commission and a, I know Dan is smiling. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been an easier choice? Right. Right. <laughs> And so there was a former council member uh, who I was friendly with, and um, I submitted my resume to be on the planning commission. And I remember him stopping by and saying, hey, what about council? Like, oh, tell me about that. Prior to that, I didn't really know much about being on council. It's like, yeah, okay, let me think about it. Thought about it. It's like, yeah, okay, I guess I can do that. Made the decision to run. And uh, funny story. This is a great segue for Dan. I was uh, getting my hair cut. Uh, it was some Saturday morning, the local barber shop, talking to the barber. And he's like, Oh, I hear you're running for council. I was like, Yeah, yeah. I told him my background and told him why. And he's like, Is there anybody else running? I was like, Yeah, there's this guy named Dan Dunnigan. I, I, I've heard good things about him. I've, ne I've never met him or anything. I was like, Do you know him? He's like, Yeah, he's sitting right here waiting to get his haircut. I was like, What? So I stood up, and that's where Dan and I first met. And uh, it was an amazing ride ever since that point. There was just a cohesiveness between the two of us representing two different political parties. Prior to that, I was nonpartisan, chose the Democratic Party at that time because they were most connected to the community at that time. Met Dan and the two of us, it, it, like national politics didn't belong at the local level. And so he and I actually campaigned together, much to the chagrin of the, of the established political parties, but we didn't care because we weren't in it for ourselves. We weren't in it for political gain. We were in it for the community and the group of us that all found each other through that. There were five of us who ran, we're all in it for the same reasons. And we found each other through that political process, that election process. And if it wasn't for the whole group of us who, who got elected and had that same shared vision, that's the key word, the vision of what we wanted for Lansdale, this would never have happened. I turn it over to you, Dan. Elliot, 
So Nancy, I come from a slightly different. I'm a guy who grew up a couple miles away from where I live in Thomas Township. I have two brothers and a sister within six blocks in that little enclave referred to as the West Ward in Lansdale and have lived there since 1997. And a, a mutual friend of mine who's been involved and was a former councilman that Matt had referred to had been frustrated by many of the things while he was on council of seeing things start, stop, and then sort of get sidelined for reasons where it seemed the machine that is or can become borough governments or any government for that matter, they were great at grinding the meat to make the sausage, but could never quite get it in the casing. And as a result, he felt frustrated and he said, hey, there's an opportunity coming. And guys like you who have smart folks that have different perspectives and I have, as a result of my job, I have clients that range in size from mom and pop Main Street organizations to Fortune 50 size companies. So you get a real broad perspective on how the world operates. And then the other part being, I intended to live there forever, right from Jump Street. And I've been there since 1997. Like I said, I have family that literally lives within blocks. So all of these things you would watch and you'd say, guys, this, this, this has got to change. And I would never want to slight those that serve because as my wife described it, my one term, not, or I'm sorry, my one sentence, not my one term. They devoted a lot of time, but I think what ends up happening over a period of years is processes get stagnant, thought processes get stagnant. In my day-to-day life, the most annoying phrase is, why do we do that? And the answer comes back, well, that's because that's how we do it, or we've always done it. And tongue in cheek, I've always said, well, we used to use carbon paper, and we don't do that anymore, and we barely use paper today. So you had a group who had it, they were comfortable, and as a result, anything that became sort of on the edge or uncomfortable was something instead of embracing or trying to find a way to do it, I think they had a preference, knows the easy answer. And unfortunately, I think that happens in a lot of towns and communities, not just in Pennsylvania, but around the country, where instead of adjusting to what's going on and being willing to take the risk, and I've said to everybody on this call, I have no problems saying to somebody, hey, I need you to help me get this approved. And if it goes wrong, that's fine. You can tell me, Dan, next time we're not following that. That didn't work last time. Um, And you have a lot of folks that are just afraid to be wrong. Uh, and I think it just inhibits lots of things getting done in municipal governments, particularly small town America types. That is a, a tremendous insight. It's so relevant today, I have to say, just this idea that we're going to do keep doing things the way we have always done them. So I really appreciate that. And I do want to know if there's anything that was holding you back, Dan and Matt, in this process. You mean other than my wife telling me I was crazy? No, not really, because we, as a group, through an interesting set of circumstances, there was five of us running at the same time on a council of nine. So whatever ideas the group of us agreed to as we helped each other campaign and get elected, we knew we could carry through. Now, was there resistance within the then borough administration? Absolutely. And we had no qualms about, and it was a little harsh there. We have some really interesting meeting tapes that are floating around, I'm sure, that you just had to change the idea. And one of the things that always came to mind was, and John will love this one, code enforcement back then, right? To me, code enforcement has two sides to the book. It's not a yes and a no. It's a yes and a maybe. 
And we had folks that had yes and no, and they were quick to find no for whatever purpose. And it created an environment in which the government wasn't working as it should. Their constituency became themselves as opposed to their real constituency, the people that elect them and pay taxes in the borough and the residents and the businesses. And I said to plenty of folks as I was heading up, what do we call it, finance and administration, that you need to treat everybody who walks in that door as a customer. They're not a voter. They're not a constituent. They're your customer. And if we annoy enough customers, you are going to have a problem with being in whatever job or position you're in because I'm a broker. I have customers on, and those guys will drop me. There's no tomorrow if I'm not responsive to what they need. That means I got to listen better. That means I got to understand what their gripe is. I got to understand all those things. And that goes from the receptionist to the borough manager. And I think along the way, we changed how Lansdale Borough was perceived in relative terms to not just its constituents, meaning its community members, but the surrounding businessmen and women, and as well as those existed in the borough at the time. It suddenly became a place that you could get something done, as opposed to where you always had a fight to figure out maybe. Mm-hmm. So the organization piece is really big, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But Matt, could you speak to what was the first big project, if this is the right place to put it in there, like the first big project that you set your sights on? Was there something tangible, or did that take some time to identify? Well, it didn't take time at all. It was our unifying cry. It was our rally cry. It was what Dan was just talking about, customer service. and. A government cannot ever be run like a, be run as a business, but you can run it more business like. And so trying to take good customer service ideas and applications from the business world and apply that to the public world, that was huge. And it, it was organization wide. It was the manager's office. It was the receptionists. It was the electric billing and sewer billing window at customer service. It was the electric company. It was the police department. It was the public works, everything. It was institutionalized bad behaviors. And we came in as a group and said, look, we need to change the image of Lansdale. We need to change that culture. And what can we do to support staff? And so we felt that it was our duty to, to take ownership over that and project that which we expected of the staff. It wasn't an us versus them. It was a, look, this is our expectations. We want to give you those tools to succeed. The police department and public works still to this day, I'll tell anybody in municipal government, those are your two outward facing, most outward facing units of local government. If you have, if you have problems with, with attitudes, you've got a perception problem because those are the people who are interacting with those who aren't from the town as well as those who are from the town. And if you've got the problems in either of those departments, that's not going to project well for your town either. And so that was really what we were focused on as a group, if I'm remembering correctly. And that was the first and foremost biggest challenge. And many of the strategic moves that we made were in support of customer service. We had a mantra that we would always recite, what's best for Lansdale, period. If that is your decision-making process, 
if you put that in front of every decision that you're presented with, what's best for Lansdale, all of the political gobbledygook just falls away. It might not be the most comfortable decision. I can tell you, I can give you (laughs) all these examples of uncomfortable meetings and making very uncomfortable decisions. But I am proud to say we made the right decisions and right decisions aren't necessarily the easiest decisions. Before we bring Timmy into this, can you tell the story? And I'm really most interested in what it was about, Timmy, what came together for you that said, this is what we want to do in terms of bringing her in. Uh, as you say, I'll give me a start. Uh, she came in initially as a temporary, right? And she was going to help us transition and put us through the paces to get ready to go and search out a new borough manager. And I would say, you know, it's hard to say from day one, because I wasn't in the building all day on day one, but let's say for sake of argument here, from day one, she was able to make part of the vision Matt just talked about and that I had mentioned before about the cultural change effective just walking in. She always commands a room when she walks in. Everybody respected her from day one. Now, remember, respecting and liking may not be the same thing because I know sometimes you got to, these guys all know, I would say, can't make an omelet without cracking eggs first. And so if you had to ruffle some feathers, she was perfectly comfortable doing it and would do it very nicely. But you quickly learned where she was. And she and I and Matt talked often. And we were on the same path pretty early on about how this needs to get done. And frankly, we gave, I think, her the confidence that she knew that no matter what, we had pretty much stood behind her and we're going to continue. So that makes her decision-making process pretty straightforward. We have discussions and we have the corridor. So anything within that corridor, she could look at Matt and I and say, guys, you, you said within this corridor, this is there. So stand behind me. And that happened really quickly. And then jumping forward several months down the road, you're flipping through a bunch of resumes on folks and having discussions and hearing. And you sit together and you think to yourself, what are we doing? If she's willing to stay, we're nuts if we go find somebody else. Because within that six months, I think was the initial time we had allotted, so much had happened. And all of those feathers that she may have ruffled initially had been calmed. And you could see it. The group that was the administration that served under her loved her. And from that day forward, it was a pretty easy choice for me. Let's bring Timmy into the conversation then. Timmy, I am so interested to hear now just what it was like, your first impressions. What did you see in this community? the leaders, the staff. It was a cold, almost winter day when I drove into Lansdale and I was coming from Lancaster, South Central Pennsylvania into Southeastern Pennsylvania. And this borough was not unlike a lot of boroughs that I'd worked with as a consultant and that I'd worked with as county administrator in Lancaster. It was dying, and again, they weren't atypical. So that was my first impression. And then when I was there that first day, had a meeting with a number of the newly elected officials 
and one person who had been a former council member. And I'd been told that they had run together, Democrat and Republican. That's hard to believe. But as I sat down, there it was right in front of me. And so it it made me really want to work with this crew because I just thought that this was a very unique situation. And it told me that these folks ran for the right reason. They wanted to do good things with their town. And I'd come from a county government and an initial group of commissioners that wanted to do the same thing. So I was experienced at that. As I sat through the meeting, there was a call, one piece of that meeting that made me pause a little bit. And that was that one of the council members and this person who had been a former council member leaned in and said, they wanted me to fire all the managers, not just they're firing the borough manager. And so then Matt West leaned in and he looked at me and he said, in addition to doing a search and being the interim manager, we'd like you to do an operations study. And I found myself looking at this young man thinking, wow, how does he know that, that really should be done, especially when you are removing somebody who had been there for 30 years. And I knew and understood those politics. Everything that Dan said, good people, but they were settled in to the way they always did it. The other thing that they were settled into, and this is not just Lansdale, is councils are responsible for the health and safety and the basic in infrastructure of a community. And for 30 years, these folks had not raised taxes and even reduced taxes. And I knew what that meant. That was 30 years of not really improving the infrastructure of that community. So I knew they were in trouble. But again, that's not unlike a lot of communities. So when Matt said, we'd like you to do an operations study, I smiled and said, that's gonna cost you extra money. And he said, I know, but I think we need to have it done. That opened something up for me because then I could look at this other council member and former council member and say, give me a chance to really study this organization and come up with a report that's going to tell you what needs to go, what needs to stay, what these folks are like. Trust me, I am experienced in government. I know what's good and what's not so good. That sort of tamped down some of the what I would call negative fervor. What I also was thinking about was I was going to be walking into a situation where you had a manager there for 30 years. You had a couple of council members left who had worked closely with that manager and really liked him. And you had a whole group of department heads, all of them, who had worked with that same manager for 30 years. And I know folks who have been around no matter what the organization is in, but usually in government, they knew how to overcome any new one <laughs> coming in. And so I was fully aware and concerned that they would try to undermine these young council members that were coming in and that I needed to, and that also they were afraid 
and that I needed to settle them down and bring them together as a cohesive group. So those were my first impressions. But even with all of that, I really wanted, I really, not just because it was big and great consulting job, but I really wanted to go to work for yeah, these folks. Yeah, yeah. You just laid out that you understood what the challenge was before you. So the question is, what did you do to set the tone and the direction that you were going to go? I think this is the million-dollar question here, Timmy. As I just said initially, and Matt gave me the opening when he said, do an operation study. I set the tone with counsel saying, look, you're hiring an expert who has a lot of experience in county and local government. Give me a chance to study this organization. One. Two, on my very first day on the job, first of all, it was a local newspaper, and they had asked if they could just follow me for the day. And I'd had enough experience with the press to now I should not say no. And I said to them, you can follow me in everything except for my very first meeting with the department heads. And so they were in my office. They were all over the place because I moved around the entire borough hall to get to know the people in that hall or at least say, hello, I'm here. <clears throat> I deliberately brought all the council members, or not council members, but department heads together in the meeting room adjacent to the manager's office and sat them down because my instincts were they probably hadn't been brought together very much in all those 30 years. And indeed, I was right, and I found it out very quickly. So they were all in the room together, and the very first thing I said to them was, I bet you're feeling on edge, perhaps even afraid about what has happened here. You've lost somebody that you've worked with all these years and good, bad, and indifferent. You knew what the landscape was. And this is now a whole new landscape. Know that I'm going to do what these council members want as much as possible while advising them through this, but also know that I'm sensitive to how you must, be, must feel right now. The other thing that you're going to know is that at least on a weekly basis and probably almost daily at the beginning, you're coming together as a group. And I know that you're very work-oriented and action-oriented and you think probably think meetings are a total waste of time, but you're going to have to trust me that these meetings are going to pull you together in a way that you've never been pulled together before. And you all are going to reveal what's going on in your departments to each other with the finance director in the room, who, by the way, and this is classic government, on their way out, the previous council did some major cuts in the budget. And that's also typical politics and handed that over to this new council. Yeah, go ahead and see what you can do now. They'd really cut the police department, but other pieces and parts of that entire government had been cut. 
So this finance director was sitting in the room. They're all looking at him like, we don't want him here because it's all his fault. And I said to all of them, we're not going to blame anybody for this. We're going to figure out what you lost. And what I need to say to this council for us to operate as a whole. So that's what I did on my very first damn job. I see Matt and Dan smiling there. Did you want to weigh in at all on, on how that period looked from your perspective? Sure. I remember, yeah, one of my favorites was a call to Matt and I was on my way. I don't know whether I was on my way to a meeting that night, but I had been churning out various spreadsheets, trying to get your arms around how did the borough's financial picture get to where it is today? And effectively, they had been using reserves. So the borough of Lansdale once used to have a large tile factory that was a massive consumer of electricity, and Lansdale Borough distributes its own electricity. And as a result, they had very healthy reserves. And over a period of many years, instead of adjusting tax base to be able to accommodate for maintaining the right levels of staff everywhere, from the police to public works to the parks department, and the fear that some elected officials have about trying to explain why a tax increase would be necessary, they spent down reserves. And it was at a point where we were probably a year or two away from having a zero balance in the general fund. And when you own your own distribution network and you own your own wastewater treatment plant, you, you can't have that. It's just not the way to, to do things. It's not business-like in any form or fashion. And so I still remember being in the car and Matt saying, what are you so hot about? I said, Matt, you won't believe this. I've done this five or six different ways. And if they had raised the cost of living in the borough on average $2 per month over the last 10 year period that I've been looking back, that you and I would have never run for office. And the incremental cost of living in the borough was so nominal when stretched over a period of time. And it was all out of the fear of, wait, we're, we can't raise taxes. Why would we do that? And it was the idea. And for years, I kept saying, we keep giving out $10 of services for $80.50. And we did it for a decade. And we were quickly coming up on when that would end. And so making that kind of rapid adjustment, a lot of people weren't real happy at the beginning. And everybody always thinks budgeting is easy. You could, I could cut the budget. That's no problem. But I would turn around and say to somebody, all right, Nancy, what don't you want? All right. And everybody would say, well, what do you mean? What don't I want? I'm like, you got to get rid of something. I can't keep financing $10 of services with only $8.50. And uh, it was a very interesting, Matt will tell you, there's a bunch of those meetings where you'd have somebody there. And then of course there'd be invariably the, well, you just have to follow the money and you'd stop and yeah. I'd look at Matt and say, can we let Nancy tell us where the money is? Cause I'm clearly not smart enough to know where that went. And it just wasn't there. And so those kinds of changes became really important. And that goes back to where Timmy fit into the whole mix of getting all those department heads to honestly assess their own departments and say, guys, we haven't fixed X, Y, or Z in 10 years, and that's supposed to be maintained every year. What's that cost? A 68% tax increase, that's what it came out to. Well, that's because you were barely paying any taxes to begin with. So 
you know, it wasn't hard in a big percentage, but I still remember the headline, but 68% was $25 a month. This is just really classic what I'm hearing. I have heard in so many different places. And so then you have this issue of communication and helping the public understand. And Timmy can't do it by herself. So that's how I got to know Lansdale. We began to have conversations. So in order for things to really begin to happen, and we're going to bring John Miserak and John Ernst into the conversation. Yes. And Matt, please go ahead. Could I just dovetail into what Dan sure. said? Dan was the financial expert. And so the, those of us who ran, there was a group of us who all had different specialties. I was the big thinker. I was the organizer, the planner type. I got everybody clicking on that same page, helped manage personalities. We knew that there was going to be a problem because access hadn't been raised since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, and Timmy will, will back me up on this, the first budget presentation with Dan's 68% tax increase, news headlines, everything. Timmy was down in front of the dais giving the presentation and, and all of us on council were like, oh my goodness, we got to do it, 68%. It's data-driven, here we go. Gave the presentation. At the last slide, therefore recommending a 68% tax increase, the room was packed, which was pretty standard back then. Standing ovation. Never forget it. Standing ovation. It was still in my mind, slow motion. Timmy turning around to me going, what? I was like, because when you present it objectively and you have that data to back it up, you have that study to say, look, this is the reason why we need this. If you or the residents don't want that service, then okay, we can cut the budget. But we haven't heard any one of anybody that we've talked to saying that they want services cut. And don't forget, those of us who are elected, this affects us also. It's not just us to them. We also are taxpayers and it, and it hurts us too. So I just wanted to add that aspect to it that Dan illustrated. He was amazing with the budget and with the finance and in the interaction with Dan and other folks on council interacting with Timmy gave her that much more confidence to build her staff to the level that we knew where it should be operating. Yeah. What a moment. Can I just, to that moment that Matt talked about, he doesn't remember this. I turned around and gave him this startled look and mouth. Do they know I just said we're raising taxes and he just <laughs> nodded his head? So I turned around and accepted the standing ovation. That budget presentation was the very first one that we, if you will, personalized. We didn't just throw out numbers. We showed people working in the borough in various departments. Here's what they do. This is what your taxes pay for. And as the reporter said to me afterwards, and we'd met with them ahead of time, this is the most information we've ever received about how a borough operates. I also will say, and I'm, I'm going to emphasize these young council members, because there's quite a difference in our ages. And I've had a lot of experience. And with county government, I had an aggressive group of commissioners who said, we're going to get things done. They've been put on the shelf all this year. When I was offered the job, Matt, as president of council, offered me the job and he leaned into me and he said, 
Are you willing to accept a job that's only going to last four years? And I smiled and said, you know exactly what you're talking about, because when an elected official does the right thing, I will say, and takes care of 30 years of things not being done, they have to do things like raise taxes or do bond issue, et cetera, et cetera. That's perfect fodder <laughs> for the next election. So I just nodded my head because I'd fallen in love with this group and the department heads. They were good people. Nodded my head and said, yep, I'll do it. It's a great quote. Okay. So, Timmy, that let's great setup for John Miserac and who came in and joined you. And, and also, if you want to say a few words about just in general, why you brought John Miserec on. Um, if I could speak to John Ernst first. Sure. You know, I, and I can't remember who came first. Yeah, he came first. <laughs> okay, let's do that then. So back to that point of one of those council members saying, fire everyone. As part of my operation study, I really got to know these department heads very well. And also bringing them together as a group. I could see who, who was going to buy into this whole team approach to things and who wasn't. And the one person who wasn't was the then codes director. It just popped up and essentially was saying to all of us, I can't operate this way. And he was the classic codes director. He knew, he, he knew codes inside and out, but he knew better how to say no all the time. And so that was the one, that was the one person that was removed from the borough. A couple of folks said to me, we have this friend, we have this friend. And I Loosely thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's probably one of the worst things you can say to me. I got um, a guy. I'll meet this friend. <laughs> and I actually met him in Matt's dining room, I think it was. And I started to ask him what his background was. And he said, now that you have to remember that this was in 2010 when we were still moving through a significant downturn in the economy. Some would call it a recession. And John's background was he was an architect. And at that time, architects were losing their jobs left and right. So I knew he didn't lose his job because he was a bad architect, but also as he talked, I found him to be very thoughtful. But the most appealing thing to me was he was coming out of the private sector. He had done the work to get his codes license. I'm probably not saying that correctly, John, because he realized he needed to find an alternative way to earn an income. He came on board, I think within a week or two, and then within a day or two, he came down to my office and he said, do you know what you've just handed me? <laughs> and I said, I have a sense of that. He, he walked into an office that had, again, probably close to 30 years of just junk piled up high and records that didn't mean anything. I think he found a check 
that had been written to the borough that had yep. never been. Never uh, been cashed. Yep. Yeah. Never yep. been cashed. And that was just evidence of how poorly that department operated. But despite the fact that he walked into an overwhelming situation and people were even commenting to me. I drove by the borough at 10 o'clock at night and the codes department's lights were still on. He was working 12, 14 hours a day trying to clean things up, but began to talk to me about, here's how I want to approach codes. Knowing that this council wanted to be aggressive relative to projects. And he put together in quick order, a whole manual that told developers and anyone who was going to build anything, here's the process. So he took the mystery out of it and made it customer friendly right from the beginning, which indeed is exactly what this council wanted. So although I handed him a really tough job, he made things a lot easier for me. Yeah. Now to John. Misery. This parking lot then sat next to the downtown SEPTA station. And when, and a lot of people, it was the Madison lot parking lot, a lot of the council members and actually department heads, especially the Jake who was in, in charge of all utilities and public works, really wanted to do something with that parking lot. And when I saw it, nothing had been done to that parking lot for probably 30 years. The meters in the parking lot were probably 30 years old and they were 10 cents an hour. So when I challenged the head of SEPTA, because we began to work with them right away. And I said, how the heck did you get a public parking lot? Now understand that parking revenue is a major source of rem revenue for most communities. And this community was rece receiving just about nothing. And I, I said to the guy who was the head of SEPA, how in the world did you get a parking lot that was only 10 cents an hour? And he smiled and leaned into me and he said to me, I don't see that as a problem. Nothing had been done and SEPTA was perfectly happy with their customers only having to pay 10 cents an hour. But in very quick order, <clears throat> people either wanted a major improvement to that parking lot or they wanted a major development because back to Matt's experience, he understands the importance of putting residents in very close proximity to, to a train station and right in the center of downtown, because that's going to generate more business. One of the issues with having SEPTA, you had this major stop. So you're like, why aren't people using the shops in town? They arrived in Lansdale, got on the train, came back, got in their cars and left. Because yeah. there really wasn't, they just wanted to go home. So the focus became we want to do a development back there. Now, I knew with regard to all the rules that surrounds a government that you couldn't just hand this to a developer. You had to work through a process to get that right 
for the community. So I said to council members, I know this guy. And the guy was John Miserec. And John had a background with state government. He was the head of planning for the Governor's Center for Local Governor's Services. So again, he had a strong background in planning and, and in community development. And he was with now a consulting firm who specialized in revitalization of communities. So I said, I know this guy. And I brought him in to interview and I, because I think we had a couple of other consultants that came in to interview. And I believe that Dan and Matt were part of those interviews and they immediately leaned in knowing that John was the best. Yeah. And I think this is a real critical piece of the story. I'm going to let John talk because I want to, if you don't mind, John Ernst, you, since you were there and moving towards the future, I think you're the best one to take us out today. So John Miserac, if you could recall what struck you about Lansdale Borough, the people and the infrastructure when you arrived, give us a sense of what it felt like for you coming in, surveying the situation. I know you had a relationship with Timmy, so there was an advantage there. You had an ability to probably had a shortcut language, but tell us what you can about that experience. Sure. I, it, it's interesting. I think every story, when you talk about Lansdale, it must've been that year, there must've been a record on cold because I remember showing up in Lansdale, much as Timmy just said, and walking over to the parking lot, it was freezing cold that day. I was listening to everybody on here. What struck me was opportunity. What struck me was the necessary leadership. And as I was listening to, to Dan talk about problem solving, there were three kind of areas there that I think were really important. The opportunity was when Timmy and I walked over to the parking lot, she said, what do you think? And it looked like a canvas, an unpainted canvas to me that there could be a successful investment made in the community that really could not only improve that site, but also help the downtown revitalize and help the community increase revenue streams uh, so that it could be part of the solution that Dan and Matt talked about, which is you can't just always cut services. You got to think about how do you raise tax revenue in the community without raising tax rates? You need to think about how do you raise tax revenues in the community and not have to worry about cutting services. There was an opportunity there. As Timmy said, when we did a little bit of the background research and realized that was, Matt could correct me if I'm wrong, it was one, if not the busiest SEPTA stop in the region, it was one of them. That to me immediately said, what developer would not want to put a development here with the access to the SEPTA station and to be able to do that. I think the other part that struck me was the leadership that was there at the elected level. Uh, Dan, I believe was at the time was also the chairman of the parking authority, which was an integral part to this. And then with the staff, with Timmy and, and John being there and the other council members that were on the board with Matt and Dan, there was just the right type of leadership that to me is needed. Some of the decisions that have to be made are going to be difficult and that you have to go through that process. So really 
I saw an opportunity here where there was great leadership. And the other thing I saw was the willingness of the community to want to do something. Timmy told me that this property had been identified in, in the municipal comprehensive plan for 25 years to say there needs to be a development here. And the question kept saying, why hasn't it happened? One of the first times I met Matt West, after we got done talking, he looked at me and said, are you telling me we can get a shovel in the ground and get something done here? And I said, absolutely, you can. This is a great opportunity and we'll go through a process. And he said, how fast? <laughs> and I said, well, let's get started and see what the interest is there. I also think too, the leadership, as you heard, and it percolated through the need to be more business minded in the, in, in the borough as it relates to the different services that are provided, Dan Dunnigan charged me and he said it so many times and it was to, to drive it home that it was important was, I don't want this process to be non-business friendly. We have to realize that these are businesses that are looking to invest in our community and we want to create an environment through this process that's not going to be cumbersome, that they're not going to just spend tons and tons of money up front with no potential for being able to to develop the project. And so he really charged me immediately with, I want something business friendly. And the leaders that you see on the call today on the Zoom meeting, they were also part of the process when it went time to communicate with the public. And again, multiple times meeting with the, in a pre-proposal meeting with all the interested developers, Dan Donegan stood up and said, I don't want this to be cumbersome. This needs to be friendly. We are looking to create an environment where we want people to invest in our community. That leadership was just, was really percolating through all the processes that were here. And it was from elected officials to appointed officials. And I think having that all combination there really provided opportunity for this development to be successful. Uh, something that John just said, and that when the group of us got elected, that we wanted to do something. Yes. And I say that carefully because none of us actually wanted to do the work. And so we quickly realized and supported that to do something, we needed the support of seasoned professionals. And I, we looked at our role as supporting them to support our vision of doing something. I think that's oftentimes a fatal flaw when you have this type of environment where you have elected who say, hey, I want to run because I want to do something. And they get in there and they actually want to run the town. That's inappropriate. I think that's an inappropriate level of activity for an elected. And I believe an elected's role is to support the staff and identify those professionals that can come in and support our vision. Great point, Matt. And I would like if, John, you could say just a little bit more about what you were able to do specifically to help them execute their ideas. Certainly, as Timmy alluded to, this being a public piece of property, there was a need for the community to go through a public procurement process to try to secure that developer that would be a part of an agreement to develop that piece of property. And so we went through a process to do that. We initially requested the development community. We put together a nice document that had some of the demographics and the data that was important to the region, including that there's a site here that's directly adjacent to one of the busiest SEPTA regional stops in the, in the area. And we went through a process where we asked the development community very briefly to provide some ideas of what they think might be on that property. What could they see? Dan Dunnigan's charge was, or let's let the business community, the developers tell us what they believe is 
viable instead of us trying to tell them what to do. The development community is looking to build these properties. They're going to understand the market. They're going to understand what the needs are, what the possibilities are there. So we asked them through that public procurement process to give us some ideas for that. We went through some interviews and, and we shortlisted and then we asked for some additional information from them and then ultimately ended up selecting. There was a selection made by the borough to, to bring on a developer. So I helped navigate them through that process to get to that point where they had a developer. And so once that agreement was done, now it's time for the hard work because now we actually had to do this project. And um, like all projects, there are always going to be some challenges that have to be overcome and some things that need to be addressed. So one of the things the borough was requiring was that there had to be at least the same number of parking spaces that were there before the development incorporated into the new development. And that was important from the borough staff and elected officials, but it was also something we heard from the public. They were afraid they were going to lose that. The businesses were afraid along the, the area adjacent to this property, they were going to lose their ability to have customers come and park and use their facilities. So we went through a process of making sure that, that was incorporated. The interesting part about it was as SEPTA became more and more involved, what we were able to do was identify some opportunities at the state level for public funding to be able to help provide for parking. It created a really awesome pu public-private partnership between the developer, the borough, the parking authority, and SEPTA to build a much larger parking garage over adjacent to the train station so that not only were we providing the current amount of parking, but also increasing the parking that would bring more people downtown and provide more opportunities to come to Lansdale to go back and forth to work and use the amenities and the services that were there. And so that was an opportunity that we facilitated. And I'll show you how these things played off a little bit of each other. Everybody realized, how do we get people from the train station to the development site? And at that point in time, PennDOT was brought to the table, the Department of Transportation. And I'll never forget when the initial meeting was requested, the statements, we usually don't get involved until there's a developer there. A lot of times communities will ask us, can you please build it so that they will come? And the response that we were able, as the borough was able to give the PennDOT was, we already have the developer, they're already here. And they said, wow, okay, we'll be down. PennDOT then came in and helped us resolve the matters by providing funding to help do some traffic and pedestrian combings around some of the intersections. But the biggest opportunity was they actually built a, a walkway over top of the railroad tracks from the parking structure to the development site that was over there that really provided safe pedestrian connectivity on both sides of the railroad tracks there so that people could easily get back and forth between not only the development, but other parts of the downtown and the train station. We helped to facilitate some of that and be able to provide public funding that made that development even more attractive than what it was. So. It was some efforts like that to try to help solve that. The third thing I'll say is, again, we brought SEPTA to the table, and this goes back to earlier comments about trying to be business-friendly and not just say no, it's yes and maybe. SEPTA was very concerned about the idling of their buses, where they were idling their buses, waiting for people to be picked up from the train and go elsewhere. And this development was going to displace them because they had normally used some of that parking over there. And they were very concerned about it. And I would say very concerned about it, that this was an issue and the borough through Timmy's leadership and so forth 
came up with a great solution of where their park, their buses could be parked. They're getting ready to close down a, a, a little alley connection road to the municipal building that was just going to be there. They offered it up and it became the spot where SEPTA parked their buses while they were waiting to pick up. Again, solving problems. They could have easily said, no, that's not our problem. It's your problem, SEPTA. But they sat down and they worked with them. And so all these little pieces started to come together and it was all the facilitation of resolving these issues and addressing these problems as we move through the development process. And I was part of the team that helped navigate that. Go ahead, Timmy. Yeah, so I just wanted to make a couple of extra points. That parking lot was actually the property of the parking authority, which had been not necessarily dormant, but simply told what to do. And the parking authority, as I recall, Dan, had some money that could be used to help this through. But by using the parking authority for this entire process, it separated it from the typical political process that you see at council meetings over into a very public and open process. So it wasn't as if anything was being hidden from anyone and brought it to, yes, Dan was the chair as a council member, but there was a whole bank of citizens, other citizens that were on this parking authority, which just added to the scope of citizens that were actually involved in this very good or very big process or project. It's interesting because a council, not this group, but later on, another council member said to me, who had respect for me, said, I kept hearing you say, SEPTA's going to do this and trust SEPTA. And what I didn't know was SEPTA was probably the, one of the most distrusted organizations in that region. And they actually took a leap of faith with partnering with SEPTA. And SEPTA came through in very big ways, even though they were concerned because they were losing not only a place for their buses, but an entire parking lot. What John didn't say is that because he had come from the state, he had maintained and increased a lot of connections into that state. So that was the other bonus of bringing him on board was they trusted him. So when he said, trust me, you should come to Lansdale, they took that leap. He also knew that what we were designing and a sort of multimodal, am I getting that right, Matt? My multimodal approach was a model that the state wanted to put in place. And here they had a community that was going to do this. So they were hungry, believe it or not, to give us money. In addition to John Miserec's connections, the SEPTA connection was invaluable. Because SEPTA stepped in and said, you need to pay attention to this project because it's going to work well for everyone. So we had the right entities and the parking authority in combination with somebody who knew the state, knew what their plans were, and a very big player in SEPTA. We brought a lot of money into Lansdale as a result of that. I really love that point that you made that, that you didn't know how distrusted 
Septa was, and that there was in that a an advantage that it was you honestly came to it, giving them a chance that they decided yeah. to to really to meet you. Um, yeah, their leadership at that time, I, I just in my gut admired, yeah, and trusted, yeah, and and this guy was new. He'd been their chief engineer for a yeah. long time, but he was new in that top post and he was a no-nonsense, Yeah, get it done. If he didn't like something, you knew it. But if he liked something, you knew he was going to get it done. He was the perfect partner. Nancy, I was going to jump in there. The other part that goes in with SEPTA is Timmy may have been naive for their regional distrust, but the rest of us weren't necessarily that. And with the general manager being new, he also happened to be a SEPTA rider who used landfill, which I thought was a big thing. But we also knew that he had a real vested interest because if we had him have to take his buses out of the borough, and if we were taking away his 10 cent parking, which as Timmy said earlier, wasn't a problem for him, we had a way to keep his attention. And I think for the first time, he felt that the borough leadership and council finally were willing to work with SEPTA as much as SEPTA may have wanted to work with us in the past. It just never, it should have clicked 20 years before it did. And for whatever reasons it didn't, and we've talked about a lot of them and you can't ever put your finger on exactly what it was. But I think they finally came around to, this group's going to do something with us or without us. And with us is far better for SEPTA. Yeah. I want to just interject that having worked with Timmy over a lot of years, one of the traits that I have always recognized is just her extreme positivity that she's able to come to challenges with this problem solving sort of attitude. And I see that also in John Miserac. And I think that's what Dan and Matt exhibit. And moving to John Ernst, he definitely carries on that legacy and those values that that anything, any situation, looking at it in a way of what we can do and not necessarily what we can't do, keeping that balance, a realistic perspective, as well as the potential. It's interesting, Nancy, <clears throat> excuse me. I'll never forget when Matt and I had a conversation at Starbucks mm-hmm. and Timmy was right that when I came on board, it was at a time when architects were not being hired and they were losing their job. I was out of work for about a year. But in the background to all that, I had been volunteering for the borough's zoning hearing board for about 14 years. So I was somewhat familiar with processes and people and elected officials and things along those lines. But coming to this role, from the private sector, there had always been a stigma from the architect's profession that working for a municipality was pretty much going to the dark side. Yeah, because these are the people that you sat across the table from trying to get an approval for your project. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are going to say no, because you can't do it this way. So I approached the process with some trepidation. And I'll never forget Matt saying to me, as an architect, you have an opportunity to design buildings one at a time. He said, but what you might have an opportunity here in Lansdale is to actually design a whole town. 
yeah. and be responsible for the development of a whole community. And that has stuck with me to this day. And I'm ever appreciative for that morning coffee because at the end of the day, this is the best job I've ever had because of the engagement of people in the community and the leaders that set the stage for us to continue. When I first came on board, my charge was customer service, as we've heard from almost everybody on the call. And I realized very quickly that wasn't so much about saying yes or no. And my mantra was, that's a great idea. Let's figure out how we can get that to work. Instead of saying no, or instead of saying maybe, it became a partnership to say, let's work together to see how we can figure out how to do that. And as an architect, I know that the codes are really important, but they're important for what they say, but they're equally important for what they don't say. So if you can maneuver your way through a code book, looking for the space in between the lines, that provides an opportunity for some flexibility. And that's where that conversation starts to begin. If I was going to change the culture as I was charged, the first thing I did was get rid of the third party agency that did all of our code inspections. We had no employees in code enforcement. And I knew that it would be a challenge trying to get a third party agency to buy into some kind of a philosophy that the borough was trying to promote. So I was able to fiscally bring on staff and fiscally help them understand what our role was. Our role was customer service. One of the very first things that Timmy and I did was if we are going to invest in our town and we're expecting developers to come in to invest in our town, the first thing out of our mouth should not say, yeah, go visit Steve in code enforcement. Because that's not going to sit very well with anybody who is dealing with multi-million dollar projects to have to walk in the door and deal with code enforcement. So with Insight, Timmy, Timmy organized us changing the name to Community Development. So you actually walk into and you're dealing with community development. So not only did it change the outward appearance, but it also helped the inward appearance of staff who felt that they were actually becoming much more of a part of a larger project and that we were working on community, not just codes. So it really did go a long way. Timmy also initiated a couple of other programs with council's help that really set the borough into the role or into a position to help outsiders understand that we are investing in ourselves. And nobody's gonna invest in your borough if you don't invest in yourself. One of them was the wayfinding program, wayfinding signage. Start to invest in wayfinding signage to help us understand what we have and where it is. But before that, the initiative that she invested in was the branding piece. What does Lansdale say to everybody on the outside looking in? What does Lansdale mean to the surrounding communities? What does it mean to the people who are working here and living here? So that was an extremely positive initiative that really allowed all of us working here, living here, to take a lot more pride than we do because we realized that we were investing in ourselves and we were part of a much larger project. 
And it really all started to come together. We're still working on the wayfinding side if it wasn't for supply chain issues, holding back some signs getting fabricated. But all of those things come into play with the changing of the culture and helping staff start to realize that it's not just one department or the other, it's the whole municipality staff moving towards creating an environment that's easy to work in, it's a, a lot of fun to work in, and that you're part of a much larger project. If you could tell us, John, a little bit about what was personally challenging for you going through this. You just had a huge challenge on your plate. You really did have a lot to, to carry forward when you stepped in. And let me just say now from the community development director, you went into borough manager. Jake was there as manager for a time, and then you took on that role. So I'm curious about through that, where, what was really personally difficult for you? I think beyond the logistics of fighting through all of the office accumulation that Timmy had suggested, finding an $85,000 check in my <laughs> office drawer, wondering what the heck am I supposed to do with this? It was trying to help the community understand that we are changing who we are. So I took it upon myself to make sure that I started to get involved in various community groups and boards, things like that, the Chamber of Commerce and the YMCA board and various local groups that had presence to the community. And I felt that it was important for the borough to have presence. And Timmy was on several boards in her leadership role. And I was on several boards in my leadership role trying to touch base with those people who we, we felt were going to be really good investors in the borough. How do we get that message out? Who can we talk to? How can we develop networking communications? How can we get the message out that we are working to try and get people to come in and feel confident that they can invest in ourselves? Timmy remembers this. All Everybody remembers this. Our very first run at a developer coming into the borough was Chris Canavan and WB Homes. And they chose to develop some townhomes right in our downtown core within walking distance of the train station. And Chris and I had very lengthy and challenging conversations. The developer community is a very small community and you don't have a lot of leeway to fail as a municipality with the developer because they are investing millions of dollars in an approval process to help begin to turn around some money and make the profit. So when you say to a developer that we're developer friendly, that means an awful lot of different things to different developers, but primarily it means speed of approval and putting your money where your mouth is. If you're going to say it's going to happen in this amount of time, then I'm counting on you because I'm going back to my investors and I'm giving them a timeline for when we can start doing this. And you better be sure that you hit those deadlines because like I said, you only get one chance at that, maybe two at the most with extenuating circumstances. But Chris Canavan had come to me several times and said that he was putting his money where his mouth was because he felt that the community was in a really good position with leadership and management to make things happen. And what's interesting about Chris Canavan is his background came from a municipal management 
background. He mm-hmm. actually was a municipal manager for the adjacent community here in the Lansdale. He was in Tomenza Township wow. as the municipal manager. So he knew the ins and outs of planning and promoting and approving how these things work. So I don't want to say he was skeptical, but at the end of the day, he was skeptical about whether or not we were going to be able to, to make things work. And, and in the end, we did. He has invested in at least four other projects since then. As to what John is bringing forward. I think it just points to the original group's philosophy that we needed to point the ship in the right direction. And that it wasn't just going to be four years and done and walk away. And here's hoping it was a concerted effort to make institutional changes to point the ship in a different direction, regardless of who's at the helm at that time and continue to surround yourself with good people, smart people that are smarter than you. And just get in there who understand why we do this for the community. And I think this, what's happening today is, is a result of that. I love walking around the town with my family and look, I had a hand in this and see how other people that I've never met before have made the decision to live here and raise their families here. And they like the energy. That's what it's about. That continued energy. It's not just about us. It's about everybody who follows us. So I just really, I just get I'm not going to say emotional about it, but I just am really proud about how the borough continues to move forward in this direction. And it makes me proud that I was a part of that, that original decision-making process as, as difficult as it was. I will say at the beginning, I talked about pulling the managers together as a team so that they knew everything that was going on. And it was their responsibility then to communicate that back into their staffs. So even though if you will, the inevitable happened where this council did not get a second term. The department heads were so vested, mm-hmm. and I include John in this, so vested in what had gotten started. And I'd actually told Matt and Dan, and John Miserac knew this all too well, the things that we were embarking on, you're not going to see come fully to fruition for 10 years. I know this, John Miserak knew it. I told that to Dan and to Matt. Matt understood that because I think more because of his background. But as Matt said, we had set such a strong foundation, especially within the staff. And this staff, remember, had been around for 30 years. So that's another benefit to this, that this was good. And it was what they only could have dreamed of. So even though um, all of us, after a period of time, went away, they pulled it through. And John Ernst was a very big part of that, along with his fellow department heads at that time. Matt's absolutely correct. We put things in motion so that you couldn't turn them back, no matter who got into public office. But also having that in the parking authority, there was a stability in there, in that parking authority, and they were fully vested in it. So Dan Dunnigan, with his leadership, was able to carry that through against a lot of odds to get that done. Nancy, I would say that my, my charge right now, as I look at you know, the best five to eight years of my career in this town, hopefully, is to 
make sure that I surround myself with leaders who are able to understand what a unique environment that has been created for them to continue moving forward. We are, and I say this to staff all the time, that we are stewards of everything that's been given to us. And our role is to pass all of these assets and amenities on to those that come after us. Timmy, when she came on board, was able to show us a different way of looking at things along with her council members and to give us some guidance and opportunity. My role is to make sure that the people that I work with, who several of them did work with Timmy, so they got firsthand experience with Timmy, know how important that is to keep that moving. Obviously things change, but there's a core, there's a core group of values, let's put it that way, values that we as leadership move through and we pass them on as different people step forward into leadership roles. That this, this is a very positive way of doing things. And if it's not working some way, we change it. The leadership, that's this key takeaway is that the leadership seeped down all the way from the beginning of our story today, from Matt and Dan's leadership all the way down through bringing Timmy on and that John, that you do carry forward the core values that were developed and that broad stakeholder base that you included so many people into the process is a way that has ensured this legacy going forward. So the the one thing I will add to that, I I think that this would be a completely different conversation if the manager in place right now did not live in the community and did not have the experience of what it means to actually live and raise a family in this environment. And I believe that part of that passing on of that understanding, that leadership is because I've lived here and I've seen it. I'm embarrassed to admit that when I was not working for the borough, I was not really concerned about development, even with my professional background. I was not concerned about Main Street development. You know, I was so concerned about driving an hour each way to work and raising a family that it just wasn't part of my mind. But now, as I've been here for 30 some odd years, uh, I think that the role with a leader in this borough would be much different if I was not part of the community have a vested interest in its outcome. That's an interesting insight. Anyone else? I'd like to have some wrap-up comments from you and any shout-outs you might want to give to others who have been a part of this process that maybe have not been mentioned for any particular reason. Sure, I'll jump in on that, Nancy. The uh, Matt and I were two of five that basically broke our what to get elected. And all five of us, it was Paul Clemente, Mary Fuller, who's still on council, and Mike Stoll, in addition to Matt and I, that literally worked our tails off. And while Matt was the council president and I was head of finance and administration, the two of us didn't do it alone. We got buy-in from our other three who came on board at the same time. We also did quite a lot of work with the then existing other four on council, some who were a little more inclined than others. Some rode against the current, just a row against the current. But for the most part, we were able to get a lot of agreement amongst the group that things had to be altered. And while it is always nice to have somebody say, you did this or you did that, I recognize right away, I didn't do it alone. Matt and I still always have a unique story of 
one, meeting in the local barbershop, and then two, going door to door, one with an R next to their name on the sheet, and the other with a D, and completely flabbergasting nine out of 10 voters with how this works, and then seeing that through. And I remember some of my final comments when I was done with my sentence, as I said earlier, was that I hope that what I had done, financially speaking, because as we all say, keep it, it's a James Carville, it's the economy, stupid. That holds true within your own borough. Things are very easy to address if the finances of the house are in order and the plan that we laid out and executed on in a very short time, politically speaking. You, know, you figure you took six months to get it together. You're talking about something we laid out in three and a half years, basically, or a little less, was to, we used the ship analogy earlier, a foundation earlier, was to lay it out so that, and I think I probably on a council meeting minute somewhere, someone's going to have to work hard to screw this up. <laughs> and it seems to have borne fruit. We laid something down and pointed it in the right direction so that if you were willing uh, as a new person on council, a new member of since we're ahead of everybody in the borough. Excellent. And institutional change is hard. And I think the five of us who ran truly understood that. And I believe each one of us understood this was a short-term commitment because what we did is not sustainable. It will create other reactionary forces that will work so much harder than you are working to get you out of that role. And we all knew that, but we were okay with it. We were okay with being that change and being that update and bearing that cross. And I think aside from Mary, God bless her for still being there. <laughs> I, I don't know how she does. It is an exhausting position. It's volunteer and it's exhausting. And to stay on point, to stay the course, you're up against a lot and you can't do it alone. And you have to rely on the support of those around you and the staff, everybody around you. While this is a good introductory story of Lansdale itself could be its own podcast because there are so many other micro stories in those four years and four years beyond that we haven't even touched that really point to the bigger success of what Lansdale is. Well, there you go, John Ernst. You can think about that podcast series of Lansdale to up that branding. <laughs> no. I'll do that in my spare time. Yes. Yeah. You know, Nancy, I would say that I've, I've worked and I've worked through my career around the country with communities and officials to try to effectuate positive change in their communities. And I think when you look at what transpired in Lansdale, taking the elected officials leadership to set the stage to then bring in the appointed staff members and have them take the lead from a management perspective to actually effectuate change by putting together that strategic planning process that they did. They put in motion a number of things that were required to be successful. I think Lansdale would have moved forward successfully with one or two of them being implemented. But the fact that they had such a great foundation with the leadership and then that strategic plan, I think most of the stuff that they wanted to put in motion got implemented. And all of that combined, when you leverage that, you start to see how much change really has occurred and continues to occur there. That started way back when I've had many officials be marveled at communities that are able to do that. And they say, how did they do that? And I said, it didn't start yesterday. It started a while back with a great foundation. 
John Ernst and I've had a couple opportunities when I drive through Lansdale, I have to stop into some of the restaurants. So yep. I'll call John sometime and we'll, I'll pop in and the stories that he's telling to this day and will probably for the continued future are all grounded in those successes that came out of that process. The idea that developers are attracted to the borough because they know that their investment is going to be protected by a community that says what it's going to do and it's business friendly and it respects the times and the investment that they're putting in. The fact that they're a friendly, it's not code enforcement anytime. I was a former, I'm a former code enforcement officer. You know, that was, that immediately put people's tails up in the air when you said code enforcement. By saying community development, that's got a positive note to it. Those little things that then you look at the financing pieces and the budgets that were, and from the uh, examples that were talked about through this process, all of these integral pieces have created an environment for not only the people in Lansdale to invest, but people outside of Lansdale to invest. And that's what you want to see is people in the community being invested and you want to see people from outside the community being invested in your community. Timmy, go ahead. Last word. Yeah. To that strategic plan quickly that we developed a capital improvement plan. That was a $45 million capital improvement plan that showed that this borough was willing to improve all of its infrastructure, which of course is appealing to any developer, but it was at a wide open to the community, this is what we need to do. And this is where your money's going to. That plan was developed in total concert with the department heads, living dreams they never thought they would get to because they were essentially putting things together with duct tape. They put that together. So they had full buy-in to it. A number of them lived in the community and that's what they were communicating. But also we were doing massive change and we knew we had to pay very close attention to the internal piece of this borough. As part of the operation study, we revealed that there was no human resources plan whatsoever in this borough. And this council not only was focused on the outside, they said, you better take care of the inside. And we didn't just have a consultant come in and give us a cookie cutter, here's your plan. We actually involved every staff member in the development of that plan. And that just increased the buy-in because quite frankly, the man and woman on the street are gonna believe that person from the public works department or the electric department or the wastewater treatment department much faster than they're going to believe me or an elected official. And these folks now were fully invested in it and they were beginning to say, yep, I know exactly what's going on and speaking in more positive ways about their total buy-in to the good things happening with the borough. So uh, my point is you have to pay as close attention to the interior. <laughs> you can't just be focused to the outside, but to the interior. Meaning that staff has to realize they're part of it and they're a highly valued part of it. And I'm glad you brought that piece in, Timmy, because that was the opportunity that I had to work with Lansdale. And I think that what I would say just in inviting you all here today is that I know what generous spirits you have, all of you. You're stewards of public service. And I have another client's 
brought stories forward from my experience there. And you have always responded whenever I've said, go talk to Lansdale. <laughs> and so <laughs> you all continue in your own ways to keep serving. So it's a story that keeps giving and it's, it's very generative. There's so much here. So I want to thank all of you for coming together. This is the most people I've ever had on an episode. And I want to thank John Ernst in particular. You might notice that his voice is a little deeper today. And I, I wish you a speedy recovery. I oh, know that you. you are here and giving us of your time when you probably would rather be home. Okay. <laughs> thanks, all. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, it's Nancy. Have you here. Be well, folks. Have yeah, a great thanks. Day. It thanks, was guys. great to see all of yeah. you and to tell our story again. This <laughs> is fun. <laughs> Take see care. Guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.